0: Hello everyone and um, welcome to today's webinar. It's just gone one o'clock, so I'm just going to give everyone a chance to join. Uh, Do feel free to drop into the Q&A box and say hi. We've disabled the chat feature as we've discovered it can cause problems for some people using screen readers. So I'll just give it a few more moments for more people to arrive. Okay, I can see a lot more of you joining in now. Okay, so hello everyone, and welcome to the sixth session in our Accessibility Insights series where AbilityNet's Head of Inclusion, Robin Christopherson, hosts a monthly online chat with individuals who are each working to improve digital accessibility and digital inclusion. Um, this month, he's chatting to Marlin Rigg, who is Head of Department at the Norwegian Digitalisation Agency. Um, I'm Annie Mannion and I'm Digital Communications Manager at AbilityNet and I'll be running you through today's session. Um, so just to go through a few bits of housekeeping. Um, so we have slides available at slideshare.net forward slash AbilityNet and also on our website at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash insights Norway Um, If you have any technical issues and you need to leave early, then don't worry, um, you'll receive an email in a couple of days time um, with the recording, the transcript and the slides. And also, um, depending on how you joined the webinar, you'll find a Q&A window. um, And if you want to ask Marlin or Robin any questions, do drop those in the Q&A area for them to address. um, And they'll do that after today's session in a follow up section on our webinar page which again is insights-Norway um, and then we also have a feedback page you'll be directed to at the end um, which invites you to tell us about any future topics you'd like to cover in our, our webinars um, so do let us know. So now over to Robin and Marlin.
1: Fantastic, thank you Annie. Marlin, welcome. Thank
2: you. Really
1: I'm really pleased to have you on this month. Um, I've known Marlin for several years now, and it's always a pleasure to have a chat. There's so much going on in your neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Actually, is there a lot of woods in Norway? I think there is. It is. That's an expression <laughs> that we have in your, in your country and in Europe and across the world as well. Um, and first of all, I always have to ask, what uh, drink have you got to help you get through the ordeal? I've just got coffee. some tea.
2: Coffee. I got coffee, <laughs> a lot of it.
1: <laughs> I always start the day with coffee, a couple of cups of coffee, but if I go too far, then um, bad things happen. I've probably <laughs> said too much there, but anyway. Um, so yeah, I've got tea. Brilliant. Uh, okay, let's start with a question that I often put to uh, get our guests, and that is about the landscape and what's changed in recent years. So when it comes to accessibility, what for you are the key things that have changed, shifted in even up to the last 10 years, say? Mm.
2: Well, there has been, uh, I would say, a significant change in accessibility. Uh, Firstly, I might uh, say that my field is accessibility of ICT solutions. So that is kind of uh, the viewpoint from which I'm speaking. Uh, But I think uh, one of the biggest changes has been on the legal side, uh, because there has been significant progress made, especially with regards to the web directive. We have gotten the European Accessibility Act. Uh, In Norway, we've had legislation since 2013, and we have been following up on the compliance ever since. But since that, uh, we have uh, gotten more and more also other countries that we can exchange experiences with uh, getting on board on the legislation side of of things. Uh,
1: Explain what the web directive is for people that aren't aware.
2: Yes, uh, the web directive is uh, the European um, directive on uh, making sure that websites and uh, mobile applications in the public sector, first and foremost, are uh, accessible uh, to everyone.
1: I'm very jealous that you have enshrined the European Accessibility Act into Norwegian law legislation. It didn't make it for us.
2: Yeah, the well, Brexit <laughs> happened. <laughs> we are still uh, still uh, working on implementing it, but it's uh, it's planned for implementation. So, uh, but I think also it's very important to say that also on the technology side, we are much helped on the digital inclusion. Uh, from a digital inclusion perspective because as we've seen technology has made significant strides the last years just think about how uh, programs such as Word and PowerPoint they have now accessibility checks built in, we have automatic text on videos for some uh, we have voiceovers there's a lot of change just like 10-15 years ago that things that weren't available so.
1: we can, I think we're potentially very spoiled being English speakers because we tend to get all of the things that have um, happened in mainstream technology, you know, that have made them more inclusive. I know that language is a barrier though. So what Mm. things in Norway do you have and what don't you have, you know, things that have popped up in Windows 10, in iOS, that sort Mm. of thing. What are you missing?
2: Oh, well, it's hard for me to say. I'm not, uh, not perfectly sure what we are missing. But what I am impressed uh, of is that big, in, uh, big tech uh, industry companies like Apple, Google, Microsoft and so forth, they are doing uh, a significant amount of work also for the smaller countries, the smaller languages. So although I think we ma- might get a lot of things a bit later than mm-hmm. people with English as their first language, Uh, we do get them so we see you know the big change that has uh, come with artificial intelligence so that is of course something that aids uh, the implementation of different languages as well so but yeah well there's still uh, progress to be made of course so people
1: are dictating to their smartphones in Norway
2: absolutely Mm -hmm. we have (laughs) cd
1: yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) brilliant but maybe not at the echo or you do yeah, as an echo.
2: you uh, are Yeah, we we do so. Oh, yeah, mm.
1: I'm a big fan, huge mm. fan. <laughs> mm. Okay, um, what about COVID then? You know, what impact has that had on the landscape? And you know, we've briefly talked about legislation, but mm. it's really focused people's minds and piqued their interest,
2: don't you think? Mm. Absolutely. We have seen a massive change in awareness and in just like understanding of the problem for digital inclu- inclusion with the homeschooling in March, April, May. Everybody was at home, you know, with uh, homeschooling and remote working. And that just like shifted uh, a lot of things. We saw uh, suddenly the things that were Im- impossible to do before <laughs> was suddenly very possible uh, for businesses to do. Uh, And you also saw the really dire need for, for instance, accessible um, educational uh, tools for all Mm -hmm. students to be able to follow school from home, for instance, so, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, here in the UK, the public sector regulations, which did make it through, have really focused minds, and we've been inundated I don't think is too strong a word but you know we've we've definitely been swamped by higher education institutes, institutions, universities etc who are you know really prioritising accessibility and that couldn't have come at a better time when students are having to uh, access all of their learning remotely mm-hmm. and obviously in the secondary education sector there have been a lot there's been a lot of uh, focus on home schooling as well mm. so um but there is still a challenge isn't there in embedding kind of good practice in the delivery of e-learning materials we've still got a long way to go
2: absolutely because as as we said the awareness rose and it was suddenly uh, possible to do things that maybe universities and, and schools were hesitant to do before by accommodating homeschooling, but on the other hand, the knowledge about accessibility and the knowledge amongst teachers and lecturers are still too low. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of, I, th- I, I call it needless excu- exclusion, it's not because of the technical solutions necessarily, but it's just because of how they are used or how they are not used <laughs> to, to make sure that accessibility happens. So there's a, there's a knowledge gap, I, w- I would say, that is very important to fill. And then, of course, there are some technology changes uh, or challenges as well. Uh, but I think that the, the motivation to get those kinds of things moving forward was uh, increased by the pandemic. So,
1: yeah, I mean, you mentioned earlier about home working as well. And I uh, sit on a disability working group of a well known. University involved in um, creating one of the vaccines, and um, they had a lot of feedback from disabled employees. And this university mm-hmm. employs tens of thousands of mm-hmm. uh, people. And um, these employees, the disabled employees, were contacting the working group in large numbers saying, Thank you, you know, we've been calling for. The option for home working mm. for many years now, in roles that you know it's possible to to do that, uh, and also for flexible working, more flexible mm. working, mm. and both of those have been put in place since COVID. Mm. But what they're worried about now is that um, that's going to go away after yes. things sort of settle down and go back to some semblance of normality, and so they're seeking assurances from. Um, the powers that be within the university that they won't be forced to, you know, go back to traveling into work when their role doesn't require it. You know, I think Mm -hmm. it's almost going to be inappropriate to expect people to travel, particularly with disabilities, but not just Mm -hmm. anybody really, if they can do it from home, Mm -hmm. then that's less stressful. Um, It's, potentially got fewer costs fewer overheads for that particular organization so yeah I think that it's is it the same in Norway that there's a general feeling that things are never going to go back to the way they were before
2: I think well that is my personal (laughs) view of course but uh, I think uh, it's a general view that it won't go back to the way it was before but of course there are very important to note that there are pros and cons of everything and there's also a cost with everybody sitting remote that you lose also some kind of community and mm-hmm. some kind of uh, maybe other challenges can arise so I think we will not go back to the way it was before but maybe you will have more flexibility and more uh, you know getting choice. together yes more choice getting together when that is very necessary and then maybe not uh, all the time just to, just to do it so it's yes yeah. I I think you will have a more diverse way of working at least and and also go to school, hopefully. Yeah,
1: Yeah. absolutely. Because as we know, people with disabilities, they they can need extra support. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that can be delivered remotely. But other times it's invaluable to have somebody physically present, particularly if you need physical, you know, you have physical support needs. Yes. Great. So we're living in changing times. What do Mm. you think... Looking ahead now, still needs to change for us to, you know, really move the needle when it comes to inclusion, digital inclusion, inclusive technology in people's hands. What do you see as being the, the the levers that still need to be pulled?
2: Well. Um... Well, one of the things that I think still is important and I think we will have to, to push for for a, quite a long time still is the attitude and the knowledge about accessibility and diversity in general. Because although we get more technology, as I mentioned, sometimes we see what I call needless exclusion that, you, that one doesn't know about technology or doesn't use it or, or, and so forth. And I think this is also a very important part of, in Norway, the regulation is uh, both for a public sector, but also for private sector. And I think one of the big, uh, really important things here is that when you put legislation in place, you signal that this is a choice that society has made. We want our digital solutions, whether it be banking, newspapers, whatever, to be accessible to everybody. So it's a social choice that we've made as a society uh, and then at the same time, showing for the business that this is also business-wise to reach all customers, to accommodate so it's easy for your, your customers to do whatever service that you are providing, whether it be private or, or public. So I think, I think that is something that we still will be working on many years to come. Um, yeah, so the awareness, um, just like the attitude towards that this is not something we do for special groups, but this is something we do for us all as a society. Uh, yeah,
1: I think the culture um, is driven by so many things by um, this recognition that diversity is a good thing, mm. and that um, people with disabilities, you know, whether it's a visible disability or a hidden disability or mental health or whatever it might be, you know, are valuable, are important. Uh, both customers with mm. their their spending power, mm. and with disabled employees. I heard some brilliant mm. statistics the other day. I've often mentioned that here in the UK, the Health and Safety Executive did some really good research, mm. and it showed that disabled employees who have the right adjustments are as um, productive as their able-bodied mm. colleagues. Mm. Take less sick leave than mm. their colleagues and stay longer in their jobs. They're more loyal. Mm. And I was on a webinar recently, and one of the other panelists, Simon Power, actually updated me with some new research which said that the teams that include disabled colleagues are actually more productive than teams mm. that don't, are happier, mm. and the whole team takes less sick leave. So mm. I was really happy to have an update to that to that content. So we're definitely seeing, you know, the cultural benefit. Mm. Yeah. But at the same time, here in the UK, one of the challenges is that the law has no teeth it's not being enforced until mm. the public sector regulations that we talked mm. about earlier which finally named a government body that was going to proactively monitor and enforce and mm. potentially issue fines now mm. this is one of the big reasons why I, I love to talk to you because <laughs> I want people to know how you guys do it yeah. in Norway tell them
2: <laughs> well we have enforced the law since 2013 so, uh, since 2013 it has been new solutions. Now from 1st of January 2021, it's for all solutions, regardless of when they were developed. Uh, But what we do is that we do inspections of the solutions. Um, We do testing really and make a report where the company can give its feedback and when they have done so, uh, the report is published. And if we do find any uh, breaches of of the law, uh, we can um, issue fines. They, they do normally get 12 weeks to correct whatever errors that we have found and if the errors are not corrected there will be daily fines until the errors are are corrected. So we we do have a, a stick so to speak <laughs> although we of course want most companies to adhere to the law just by seeing the value of accessibility and not because we might... Issue fines in the end.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's. I think you need to have carrots and sticks, and we can talk more broadly about the business case in a second. And obviously, we want people to do it for the right reason. But you know, if you have a law and nobody enforces it, and Mm. it's left up to disabled individuals or potentially NGOs, where Mm. they gather together a group of people with disabilities who have been disenfranchised and do a class Mm. action as it's called. Um, You know, what does that say about what the government thinks of that law? Mm. You know, there's no machinery in place until this public sector regulations, which actually was, you know, a milestone. We've just a couple of weeks ago celebrated the 25th anniversary of our disability legislation Mm. here in the UK, Mm. the Disability Discrimination Act Mm. of 95. And yet the government did nothing (laughs) to enforce it. So, Mm. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't um, engender uh, inclusion when it comes to the culture, you know, Mm. okay, it's there, the legislation's there, but nobody cares enough about it to actually Mm. enforce it. So, you know, that what you guys have chosen to do, I think has really shifted the needle, hasn't it? Mm. You've seen a, a kind of a change in how many websites out there are meeting the sort of minimum levels of accessibility mm. it's having an impact on disabled customers tell us about the scale uh, give us the SAS story about the because <laughs> that was well, the one that made me sit up
2: yeah well uh, the SAS airline we we controlled them in the fall of 2017
1: it's and a national airline
2: it's a Scandinavian airline mm. but with them with a, of course a national uh, office uh, but uh, we, we controlled them in the fall of 2017 and they got uh, quite a long time to correct the errors. Uh, but uh, after I think almost uh, nine months, there were still errors left open. Uh, and then we issued this, uh, this, but they had 10 days. Uh, to correct the final errors, and and the fine in that particular instance was uh, calculated to about, I think, about the, the equivalent of 15,000 uh, euros uh, a day uh, for <laughs> if uh, if the last errors were not corrected, but they were. It's very important to 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 stress that they they did correct the errors the last ten days. Then and. Um, of course, uh, that is what we want. You know is that the errors are corrected, so that the website gets more. So, accessible.
1: how many days worth of fines did they accrue? Uh,
2: no, no fines. Uh, they oh, were okay. they, 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 they We were issued fines, and they had ten days to correct the last fines. Right. And they and they did correct them. So then. Uh, we didn't have to impose the the actual fines in the end so
1: so they the threat of the fine was sufficient for them to finish off what they needed to do had they been dragging their feet before that or
2: i think they just had found it very challenging but what i think fines does uh in a degree that not many other measures do is that they make accessibility a man- management issue it comes to management attention it gets it a priority amongst other things are you going to pay those fines or are you going <laughs> to put money into um correcting the errors or what are you going to do it's not you know it's not no longer just a question about intention and goodwill and are we going to do it and is it in our policy and so forth it is as uh, it's a, it's a hardcore <laughs> measure that leaves this question up on the management table and that I think is one thing that fines can do that not many other more soft <laughs> measures can do in the same way
1: yeah money I'll say money talks but that's probably not the right phrase but yeah money certainly makes people listen sit up and listen when it comes to fines yeah so- but I-
2: If I might add I think it's very important that the enforcement for me it's first and foremost a signal of what we talked about earlier that what the society thinks of this it's not so much a question between the individual and the company and whether or not and discriminated or not it's more uh, this is what the society um, requires from you as a business this Mm -hmm. is one of the many requirements you have to fulfill you know. Uh, so I think that is one of the the good thing about a more uh, general enforcement. And then there's many weaknesses and also many uh, good things about more individual pursuance of uh, non-discrimination. But the signal effect that it has uh, is yeah. very important.
1: Definitely. It says that as a, as a nation, as a culture, we value. Yeah. Diversity and that Mm. includes people with disabilities. There's a brilliant organization, the Valuable 500. Mm. Uh, Caroline Casey has spearheaded a campaign Mm -hmm. to get 500 global names to sign up to prioritizing disability because of the festival of diversity that we're all kind of participating in. Disability Mm. is the poor cousin, it's the Cinderella that often gets (laughs) forgotten and left behind, not invited to the party. And um, that uh, requires for signatories of that um, who sign up to the charter to have disability on every agenda at sea level meetings, senior management meetings, and also at the trustee level as well. And I think it needs that, as you say, you know, you need to have buy-in from the top to sufficiently prioritize it. Mm. Um, do you want to talk about the role of disability champions? Because it kind of needs to come from the bottom yeah. up as well as the top down
2: absolutely and i want to give uh, a big also um thank you actually to the it industry and the tech companies and because a lot of the innovation and the really good solutions that we all want to use comes from the tech companies it doesn't come from um uh, those companies because it's legislation it comes because they think it's business wise they think it's maybe part of the policy they make a conscious choice so, I don't think it's either or. I think it's uh, both, you know, uh, and, yeah. and yeah. And that government on their side can say this is what we require. And then the tech companies and the businesses themselves have to have some people that champion this, maybe do the innovation, drive it forward, you, you know, through competition, but also just through policy making uh, on their own. Uh, which is really important and then of course all the users. because what I think is very important is also we want everybody to participate we want a society where everybody can participate and on equal terms but what that also says is that you know the the potential that lies within everybody (laughs) as part of our society we need that we need access to that if we're going to be you know uh, heading towards a future with more technology and, you know, we need all the best people we can have uh, and therefore nobody should be restrained by, you know, society made barriers such as what is access- or le- non-accessibility actually does. So I yeah. think that is also a very, very important point to stress. That it, co- it has to come out from the needs from the people that they, you know, to meet the needs that people have so they can use their potential. So-
1: Absolutely. You know, the business case is very strong. And as you highlight, you know, there is a very significant and tangible and measurable a business case for inclusion it's not mm. just about you know doing the right thing mm. um, fear of legislation you know of um, repercussions legal repercussions mm. the the likes of microsoft google etc have benefited from covid from mm. the move to digital to online mm. because they were prioritizing it prior to that yeah. for many years they you know apple as well have been um making things uh, a priority to make Mm. them as inclusive as possible and so they were well placed to Mm. scale up products to you know meet needs in the market new needs in the marketplace Mm. or more significant needs in collaborative working in online remote you know connectivity or Mm. meetings etc um so yeah absolutely um I'm gonna finish off by asking you a quick question that was put to you by Christopher Patno of Google last month and we've kind of touched upon it. Um, He's basically saying that in the US, they're not very big on uh, enforcing the law. They're a bit lax when it comes to the enforcement of the anti-discrimination legislation and they leave it up to individuals there are some organizations that make it their job to take companies to court etc but it's basically left to private individuals or the private sector to take legal action a bit like i mentioned before here um what's your take you know i'd be interested to know how litigious norwegians are do that are they ready to sue people a lot or <laughs> um are they quite um kind of forgiving in that area? Uh, And is that why the Norwegian government has really stepped in to to enforce the law? So Christopher, saying, what's the balance there? What's the right balance? And, you know, how do you think? Is it a bit of both maybe?
2: Hmm. I think, well, I think it's a great question because I don't think there's a right and a wrong here. I think it's very important to strike the right balance. And of course, I think maybe the Norwegian culture in that uh, area is a bit different from these uh, other states, but I think still that what we have touched upon that active enforcement from the government is a key component, I think, to convey that the accessibility is a choice that we have made as a society. Mm -hmm. But then of course, there are many good things about individuals uh, pursuing their rights, you know, to be active and have something they can do about their situation. Uh, What I think maybe be, not uh, always a good thing about that is that the burden is solely on the individual and that burden can be too great. So it can hinder you into getting what you need. So I think it's very good to strike a good balance both with enforcement and also have some strong ways of making it possible for individuals to pursue their rights uh, at the same time.
1: Fantastic. And sticking with policy, um, have you got anything that you would like to pass on to our next guest, which is Alejandro Melido. He's policy coordinator at the European Disability Forum. So what would you like to pass on to him?
2: Well, I know Alejandro, so hi Alejandro. Uh, now with the web directive in place and the European Accessibility Act uh, on the way, I would like to know what would the EDF see as the biggest need for future regulation, if any, on accessibility, what would be the next step in your view?
1: Fantastic. The next big step. Oh, I wish we were having the European Accessibility Act coming here. (laughs) (laughs) I wish that was our next step. But yes, beyond that, what's the next big thing? Thank you very much indeed. A real pleasure, as always, and um, have a brilliant rest of the year. Thank you again. And I'll pass back to Annie to wrap things up. Thanks, Annie.
0: So um, thanks so much, Marlon <laughs> and Robin. Um, we've had a lot of questions through, which we will answer online in the next few days, and you'll receive an email with the link on Thursday. Um, but just a little bit more information that might, might be of interest to you. Um, we also run online training sessions on digital accessibility. Uh, you can find out more at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash training. And you can use uh, an exclusive 10% off discount code available to registrants of our webinars, which is AbilityNet webinar 10, which is the numeric one zero. And then um, we've got some training courses that will be announced soon for the new year and recordings can be bought in December and January um, until the next courses are live. Uh, We have courses for content creators and editors, designers, developers, testers, project managers and leadership. And um, you can also keep in touch um, in our, uh, if you sign up to our newsletter, which is forward slash newsletter uh, for the latest announcements about digital accessibility. Um, you can visit our YouTube channel, download our podcast, and we have a suite of accessibility services to suit your organization, hopefully. And also don't forget about our next webinars, which we'll be announcing for 2021 very soon at forward slash webinars. So thanks again, Marlin, Robin, everybody that's joined us and we'll be in touch with you soon. Bye, everybody.